0: on movies with Rebecca and Jason
1: Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes the binge
2: Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge In which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases I am Jason Leroy
0: And I'm Rebecca Olarte And this February we have four? Five. Five Five movies for you, oh my gosh I know The Invisible Man, Portrait of a Lady on Fire Downhill, Birds of Prey, and Come to Daddy and as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with binge it being the highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh, and then send it back means...
2: Life is too short for that mess. Uh,
0: five movies, three ratings. Oh my gosh, the possibilities are limitless.
2: I know. You start thinking about it in terms of variables oh my and gosh. how many different outcomes there could be. Possibly. I'm about to pass out. I'm back. You okay? Okay. All right. Okay. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> okay all right uh so at this point we're taping this on leap day
0: ah, like it never even happened
2: <laughs> so this will be lost in the uh, bermuda triangle of time uh mm-hmm. podcast wise
0: because we're gonna get wasted on the leap day with leap day williams
2: leap day williams absolutely um, i feel my gills coming in already <laughs> um and uh and one thing that happened between the last episode and one this thing. episode
0: <laughs> so many things <laughs> (laughs)
2: and feels like ancient history but we should still talk about it because this is a movie podcast is the Oscars.
0: Coronavirus. (laughs) The Oscars. Parasite.
2: Yeah I mean it's it's really the month has been February has been all about parasite and biology. Yeah it's been it's been dark (laughs) Uh, but stir it off with great light um, because of Parasite's Unexpected by many, but mostly predicted on an Oscar ballot by me, <laughs> sweep <laughs> at the Oscars. I mean, truly, the Oscars feel like they were six months ago if they were a day. Um, <laughs> but it was actually just a few weeks ago. And this year, we did not watch them together, unlike last year mm-hmm. when technically we also didn't watch them together, not really, no. but only because Rebecca was passed out in the very room in which we now sit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Gone
2: Yes this time we watched them separately And uh, Rebecca what was your experience like watching the Oscars this year You know
0: just quickly what we also watched separately That is I find more regrettable Than the fact that we didn't watch the Oscars together Is that we did not watch the Super Bowl halftime show together
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Because the first thing I I was like There are so many people I want to text right now While it's happening I was so glad you were watching it I wasn't sure because you know Sure
2: yeah yeah Well I remember it was It started earlier than was predicted Because of course you know when you're me you are just Googling, like, what time is the concert? Um, <laughs> and uh, I know it's not an exact science, but I think it was like it was estimated to start at like 530, but actually started like just barely after five. So uh, and then we just by pure luck turned it on and we're like, oh, oh, here it comes. So, yes, I watched it live, as did you. And uh, and we and we did enjoy a, a, a correspondence about that.
0: I feel like there was a lot of um, uh, message squeeing going about. I was unfortunately by myself watching it, and that, that was a bummer. There were just so many moments where you feel like you You're wanted like, to be with a community yeah. of people. Like You're just looking around the room look for at someone that, to look high at five. That, look at that.
2: Right. Tea, oh my God, that. And Teacup is famously conservative. Famously. Uh, so mm-hmm. she was too busy firing off emails to uh, mm-hmm. the FCC. FCC. She's
0: still upset about the nip slip.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah. No, we'll never get over it. Does blame Janet. Does. Uh, mm-hmm. Refuses to hear that it was Justin's fault. Mm hmm. And uh, and that's teacup for you. I mean, you know, <laughs> lo- lover, or leave her. I uh-
0: <laughs> <laughs> love her. Uh, you know what? We don't always see eye to eye, but uh-
2: but you still find excuses to cuddle. Yep. So and that's and that's how you build a bridge. <laughs> that's it. Yeah.
0: So the Oscars.
2: Yes. What was uh, it like watching it without you? Yes. Yes. My question to be clear is what was it like without me there? (laughs) Tell me what's it like when I'm not there?
0: What? Did I watch it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, you're like, so to be clear, you're saying they did happen. Oh,
0: you know what? Here's what I did. I went to, I was in Austin and I watched at the Alamo theater. You know how, um, Tim Heidecker has that show that Oscars award, like live stream show that he does like every year. Okay. Um and it's just completely absurd. Um, you know, Martin Sheen was there Oh no, not Martin Sheen, the other one. Martin Short. <laughs> no, the Esteves.
2: Oh, Emilio Estevez. The other one. Charlie Sheen?
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> what? Martin Sheen. No, I don't know. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> the thing the thing the point is it was hilarious hilarious and um you know i don't get into the specifics it's absurd but you will love it it's the funniest thing i want to know who you mean yeah okay i'll look it up in the meantime when you tell me about, so you, it, about your day so
2: it was neither martin sheen nor melio estevez nor charlie shane but somebody who for some reason makes you think it was one of those people
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> so you do the-
2: sam waterston uh
0: <laughs> no
2: and it was not Martin Short.
0: Um it's oh man, it's on cinema. <laughs> it's the show. Sure, sure. Uh, I don't even know. I'll look into it. Okay. But uh it was <laughs> hilarious. And then I think I went we went back to the hotel and watched the end of the The Real Oscars together. Oh, uh, okay. Um It is really funny though. I think it's streaming on like Comedy Central or, or YouTube or something. I would highly recommend okay. watching it. It is so funny.
2: Did you watch the Spirit Awards?
0: Uh I saw the the, intro with okay the oh, Audrey Azouz Plaza? opening yeah.
2: monologue, which was so good, so good. And um, did you? I'm sure you also see the, the the Laura Dern bit that went viral. No, no, they brought in like the L.A. Gay Men's Chorus to sing this uh, entire piece about all the hidden gay moments in the year's nominees. Oh, and um, and basically it was oh
0: Joe Estevez
2: Oh sure, Joe Estevez <laughs> You
0: know, it's
2: like Danny Minogue.
0: Yeah, what? <laughs> Joe Estevez sure he's the brother of Martin Sheen oh <laughs> okay you know
2: yeah it's like uh that
0: that, that is really just dist- it, it really captures <laughs> Tim diggers show in a in like that show. like Clint Howard <laughs> yes exactly
2: um uh yeah so it was this thing where they were like isolating you know sort of like the secretly gay moments uh of the year in independent film Mm. and uh and then it got into so it was like you know Jennifer lopez stripping to a few an apple song Mm. um and then it got to laura during a marriage story and they were singing like Laura Dern kicking off her heels on the couch in Marriage Story. Laura Dern dressing slutty in court in Marriage Story. Uh, <laughs> and then it just turned into this like entire song about Laura Dern and like the gay majesty of her work. Oh, wow. And she was there uh, seated toward the front and the camera was just like on her the entire time. And You can just picture the faces that she was making as this was unfolding and she was not expecting it. Oh, my God. Um, as like this entire chorus of gay men are singing about her greatness. Wow. Uh, and like going back through her entire career. It was a special moment.
0: How do you feel about, does that um, negate the sore feelings about
2: the Jennifer Lopez? Uh, You know, I mean, it's not Laura Dern's fault that the Oscars didn't nominate (laughs) Jennifer Lopez. It is, I do actually blame the Spirit Awards, though. um, The Spirit Awards voting body, because that was J-Lo's chance to Mm. win a proper award for Hustlers, because they took Marriage Story, and they gave it a special Ensemble Cast Award that took all of its actors out of the respective performance categories. Oh. And so J-Lo was running unopposed by Laura Dern at the Spirit Awards. And who did they give it to? Nine from the Farewell. Which again, lovely performance. <laughs> uh, but she also couldn't even be there because coronavirus. Um. So oh, and J Lo really? act- and so J and J-Lo actually showed up l- less than a six days after doing the halftime show. Jennifer Lopez went to a tent in Santa Monica to attend the <laughs> Spirit Awards, and they didn't even give her the goddamn award. Wow. So uh. So yes, I'm angrier now at the Spirit Awards <laughs> than I am at the Oscars. Um, okay. But uh, but yes, I mean I've always of course I've always loved Laura Dern, and she should have an Oscar. It's sort of like when Allison Janney won for I, Tanya,, sure. I'm like she should have an Oscar, you know, even if I don't think she should have won it for this.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: So uh, yeah, so all the acting categories of the Oscars went as expected, and uh, and yeah, just that that I am so I feel so vindicated that all this momentum around 1917 right there at the end in mm-hmm. award season. Was a fucking goose egg. Mm. I am so glad <laughs> that that wound up being just bullshit, and it was actually not a best picture, best director, you know, winner. Mm. So, and I it, to be in my poll for my office, uh, my office Oscar poll, I had Sam Mendes winning best director. I thought they were going to split, and um, you know, but many, uh, pretty much every prognosticator was saying it was going to take picture and director. I was like, mm, maybe just director. It
1: didn't even get that. I'm so happy. So you were still
2: wrong. I was still wrong, mm, yeah. And but I'm, I, so I'm happy. But I still won my poll. <laughs> nice. So, yeah So we can both enjoy. Uh, you, you can have the victory of knowing that I was wrong about something. And, <laughs> and I apparently have some prize waiting for me at my office down in LA. So, Ooh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how would you feel about the winners? JoJo I don't got know. something? I wasn't
0: very excited. I was, very, was not very excited about the whole Joaquin Phoenix situation,
2: meaning his speech
0: yeah just there's so much of him right now he's i mean i it's not that i'm necessarily. breaking into farms around the
2: country and just <laughs> carrying out baby cows in front of cameras
0: i mean i get it but also um i don't i don't know it's hard for me to watch joker be um you know taken so seriously in these award um competitions mm. um so that's a bummer. I don't know.
2: I mean, at least it only won that and score, which are arguably and, but good for score. Yes, and arguably Great for score. Arguably those are the best parts of the movie were his performance and the score. Um so at least, thank God, that didn't win picture or director or any of that stuff. But even the fact that it was nominated is right. still yeah a, a problem.
0: I'm really embarrassed about the score situation because I am like a very like very vocal about how excited and happy, but like I
2: I've heard you say it, yeah.
0: Don't know the score. <laughs> I am. It's. I it's, it's just because it is. Perf- it, woman... is per-
2: it is performative wokeness one hundred and one.
0: Yeah, I should listen to it. I should. I'll listen to it on the way home. Yeah, I'm gonna do it.
2: Yeah, and then you get and then home. And show home. up
0: in everyone's feed like Rebecca's listening to the Joker soundtrack I go, oh, guys,
2: again. Rebecca's driving around listening to the Joker <laughs> score. <laughs> so stay out of her way. If <laughs> you see her coming, this is not the day. This is not the day to bring up your issues with her.
0: <laughs> If she's booked
2: on your talk show tonight, then maybe Colin's sick.
0: <laughs> you know, I just go around, get myself pumped, listen to a little Joker soundtrack. <laughs> That's in the clown's part of that movie, though. What the fuck? <laughs> what a stupid movie. Oh, oh anyway. god.
2: Yeah, I mean, and the both speeches by Joaquin and Renee were both just oh, like, right? Just
0: Renee. Oh my
2: god. <sighs> Like, that
0: was not good.
2: I mean, it's so, like, you truly, if you're a frontrunner, you have to have a strategy for the entirety of award season so that you don't, like, peter out early, and then you just embarrass yourself with the biggest one of all. She
0: petered out, like, in, within the speech as well. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like, she was, like, good for the first five to ten seconds, and then she was just naming names.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: um, mm-hmm. And that was embarrassing, and we all had to hear her, like, newly revived twang one last time.
3: <laughs> um,
2: and then it was just a funny feeling the energy in the room change for Joaquin when he was, like, rattling off the different issues and everyone's like yes and he's like you know whenever someone feels supremacy because of their race everyone's like yes he's like because of their gender we're like yes <laughs> he's like their sexual orientation we're like yes he's like species <laughs> everyone's
1: like <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and teacups like liberal hollywood add it again <laughs>
0: You don't speak for me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Hashtag not my species.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, that was tough. That was tough going. But uh, but at mm-hmm. least, you know, uh, Laura Dern's speech was nice. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt peaked early, too, because Brad yeah. Pitt's speech at the Globes was like his A-plus speech. Mm-hmm. This one was like, fine. Meh. Meh. But yeah at least I mean so you got your Jojo Rabbit victory in screenplay yes, so at least yes, you had that and his speech excited. was his speech was great of course and uh, yeah after that yeah. who really cares no don't um, no give a shit yep yeah. so now we can never speak of any of those movies again nope, we can move God. forward and pretend they never happened And Parasite's coming to Hulu yeah Parasite they're really doing a blitz like it's, yeah it's already available you know to, on like VOD and now it's coming to Hulu and that's going to be in Criterion by the end of the year so
0: where it belongs
2: yes so if you have not seen it yet, then soon you'll have no excuse because it's just going to be literally everywhere available mm-hmm. to watch.
0: It's interesting because Okja was made for Netflix, mm-hmm. his last movie. Right. Um, and then this one. Is Good job
2: out. saying that without trembling at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's weird how those kind of, I don't know, I guess I sort of expected some kind of exclusivity, but I guess that's not how that works.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm, that was probably just for that film, right. that film alone. Yeah. And uh, then, yeah, because this one, I mean, this one, I believe, was when it premiered at Cannes last year, it was a market title. And then Neon mm-hmm. Neon bought the rights to it. So I'm sure Netflix was in the running, mm. um, but he decided not to work with Netflix. And that makes me like him even more.
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I was going to say, speaking of Neon... But we're not going to do Portrait of a Lady on Fire until number two. Right. So we are going to start with The Invisible Man, which I think is the only movie in this group that we saw together.
2: Yeah, it is.
0: Um, The Invisible Man. When Cecilia's abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune, she suspects his death was a hoax. As a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she is being haunted by someone nobody can see. I think this is one we were both looking forward to, Mm -hmm. in that it was going to be a very serious, unique take on what is a classic story that I didn't actually know.
2: (laughs) Uh, And and we were so looking forward to it. In fact, that um, we, meaning I, chose it over another movie that also fits that description that was screening for press the same night, which is Emma. Emma, the latest, the latest uh, version of Jane Austen's Emma. We did not watch Emma. We did watch the Invisible Man, which one ultimately would be more upsetting? We don't know
0: <laughs> I do still want to see Emma,
2: yeah, it looks good um I mean, clueless stand for life, obviously, so <laughs> totally up to see uh how that one shakes out but uh and if we have seen it by the next episode, we'll talk about we it, will, yeah. but for now, we're here to talk about the invisible man uh, no let's
0: still talk about Emma <laughs> 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 that editing of the trailer is. Delicious. I
2: would like to see Bloomhouse take on, Emma. <laughs> it's
0: filmed in Atlanta.
2: Mm-hmm. So so this this movie is sort of an unexpected um, result of a long struggling effort by Universal to relaunch the Universal Monsters Universe, mm. um, which it first came out of the gate a few years ago with the Tom Cruise version of the Mummy. Which was an unmitigated disaster. They thought that that was going to be like it. They were like, "Here we go. We got Tommy Girl. We got <laughs> we, the Mummy. It's been what ten years since Brendan Fraser was in it, so it's time right. to reboot it." And it was a failure. I
0: mean, I feel like the Mummy can't be like five foot four.
2: <laughs> I don't think he's playing the Mummy though.
0: Oh, okay. I th- <laughs> Just wondering. <laughs>
2: I like that you're like you're like as we all know, mummies are tall. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> I think no. it's Who's a fact universally- like a tiny mummy? <laughs> you can imagine this little thing recovering right, a bandage running at you. You're little like, hey, hey, little guy. Hey, little mummy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, little mummy. What are you doing here? <laughs> you lost? I'm scared of you. You lost? You <laughs> need your way back to the tomb?
0: Just turn you around and point you to the right direction. <laughs> no, there you go,
2: little guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's adorable. Need need some rebandaging or anything? You're
0: right.
2: <laughs> uh oh, <it's> okay.
1: <laughs>
2: so uh so yeah, so that was um a failure. And then Universal was like back to the drawing board. They're like, Well, shit. And um and then originally this Invisible Man um reboot was also going to I belief star Tom Cruise, but uh who apparently That was- could work <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're like, now that's where being 5'4 is an asset instead (laughs) of a liability.
3: It's it's less (laughs) man, yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: He'd be in this room, we wouldn't even see him, right? (laughs) Save millions on the budget for the CG to make him not be there, (laughs) just just a whole (laughs) foot and a half. Uh, you don't have to even worry about. So it was going to star Tom Cruise. Um, and uh, But then after the failure of The Mummy, they were like, ooh, okay, back to the drawing board. Let's retool this. And so they approached uh, the filmmaker Lee Wannell, who is best known for um, horror movies like Insidious and Saw. Uh, and were just like, what you got? Imagine this. like, you know, taking Invisible Man, taking this property and doing a new take on it. And then he you know, was sort of like, okay, like how do I don't want to like do like a straight up remake of the original, like, what's a different take I could have on this. And, um, you know, in the original, it's about a mad scientist who uh, develops this, you know, this concoction that helps make him invisible. Um, But then he starts to go crazy uh, from the power of this concoction, and also being invisible. And that makes him crazy. But in this, he was like, okay, what if it's a person who is already inherently, a bad guy, and the ability to become invisible just amplifies that, um, and and so we came up with this 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 sort of fantastic premise, uh, wherein the uh, the invisible man is well, first off, not the protagonist,
0: right? Huge, yeah, huge. huge. I feel so like the invisible man as like a character in pop culture is is the invisible man. It's like mm-hmm. the trench coat with the hat and the like, right. um, as seen in. Marriage Story, classic <laughs> Halloween costume.
2: That's true. It was, but
0: it's a very iconic uh, character, and it's you know it's the name of the of the story, and mm-hmm. what a twist to make it second banana.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so instead, we have a story um, about this sort of you know Elon Musk style figure. <laughs> 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 Poor Grimes. Let's send a send someone the wellness Let's check on and- Grimes.
0: <laughs> In- Invisible Man SoundCloud is blowing up right now. <laughs>
2: So we have this sort of like, you know, this like, you know, this this eccentric tech billionaire um, who, uh, is works in the field of optics and uh, and is living with. I thought that she was his wife. Maybe she was just his girlfriend. I'm not sure.
0: Oh, uh, I thought I was wife as well. Yeah.
2: Well, we'll say wife for the purposes of review. Maybe girlfriend. Ultimately, doesn't this really, all, doesn't, doesn't really actually,
0: matter. The definition of relationships in this movie is very complicated. <laughs>
2: yes, it is. I was very confused by a few primary ones. Um, so, uh, so, uh, so he lives with, yeah, we'll say wife, played by Elizabeth Moss, and as the film begins, um, she is pulling off a middle-of-the-night escape from his enormous oceanside mansion, um, and, uh, and we, you know, intuit that this is because he is abusive.
0: And man- mansion fortress. Mansion Everything fortress. Everything is, uh, camera monitored, alarm on yeah. alarm. high gates. Security. Mm-hmm. And it also has his, like... Secret lab in the basement. Um, Walls, security dog. Like the, the idea that he is controlling is very much shown to you in these. In this intro, the dog has this huge shock collar on. There's a right. lot of like very clear symbolism that he is controlling and abusive.
2: Yes, and uh, and so she is making an escape, uh, and her sister is waiting for her. Her sister did not know. Um, she just told her sister to be waiting for her at a certain time. Her sister had no idea. Um, she had, like like many women trapped in abusive relationships, she had been quiet about it. She had not spoken about it. She had been ashamed. Uh, and so her sister comes and gets her. A few weeks later, she is now living with a friend of the family who is a cop played by Aldous Hodge, who we loved in clemency. Mm-hmm. Love him here, too. Mm-hmm. And goddamn, the man can wear a suit. Yeah, uh, yeah. Holy shit. So she lives with... Um, her friend and his young daughter, played by Storm Reed from Wrinkle in Time. And, um, and she's still kind of recovering. Obviously, she's only been out for a few weeks. She doesn't want to leave the house yet. She doesn't feel comfortable doing a lot of things. She's still very much, um, you know, dealing with her PTSD from this abusive situation. And is still just learning how to talk about it. Uh, when she receives the very surprising news that her ex has committed suicide, uh from his uh she receives this news from his brother who is a lawyer. And um but she just doesn't quite believe it. She's like, I don't know that he I I just know I just know he didn't do this. I just know he didn't do it. And um and so and sure enough, of course she's right. And then it goes from there. But so the premise of taking, you know, the story of a miserable man using it to look at any experiences of an abused woman and to use it as a as a metaphor, as a symbol for for the experience of gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the experience of uh, of of feeling, you know that your abuser is always around, mm-hmm. um, never feeling safe. You know that that all that stuff is is brilliant and so thoughtful, and and you know and and of course acted beautifully by Elizabeth Moss.
0: Also, using what he's able to do in this um, shroud of invisibility mm-hmm. to alienate and ostracize her from the from her loved ones, her friends and family by a whole broad range of uh, abusive acts, uh, mm-hmm. making her feel completely alone and unable to survive without him.
2: Yes, yes. And as, right, exactly. Like, as he as he reappears, so to speak, uh, in her life and begins to isolate her from the people who she needs to look after her, mm-hmm. um, then, then, yes, the, even as the movie progresses down that path where it starts to become more formulaic and perhaps not always believable with the sort of, because the script needs her to be isolated and some of the ways that it finds to, like, isolate her are, like, not always, like, okay. <laughs> Maybe not the most believable. Um, but, yes, it's in keeping with the pathology of an abuser, of course, mm-hmm. that, that that he is finding ways to isolate her. And, you know, there's a lot of choices that the movie makes that are still um, refreshing for this kind of thing. Like, I feel like it is a remarkable thing um that we have a movie about an invisible man in which at no point uh is he like walking in to watch our heroine shower
3: yeah like
2: yeah. you know like this is this yeah. is the kind of thing that for years like this is it's yeah. all about like what kind of weird pervy shit is he going to do while he's invisible
0: yeah that's worth that's it's <laughs> worth calling out i'm just thinking about how i feel like anytime anyone answers a question like what superpower would you have and then mm-hmm. someone says invisible you're like creep
1: all right
3: pervert <laughs> um
0: that's it that's an important call out i think it's easy to take that for granted, but that mm-hmm. is so fucking clearly what would have happened or would have happened in a different movie.
2: Right. And I was also, I was just reading an interview with Lee Wanell and he was talking about how um, Elizabeth Moss in a lot of ways sort of almost became a co-writer, co-director while they were making it mm. um, because she, he, he was like, I have no personal experience with the kind of story that this is about. But uh, he's like, but she opened up to me a lot about relationships that she's been in. And her point of view on them. And he's like, and so we really reshaped a lot of it from that. And he's like, there's also, he's like, there were paragraphs, paragraphs of dialogue that I wrote for her character that she would come to me and say like, I can say that with a look. And, 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 you know, she's like, so let me try it. And he of course hated that because these are his lovingly crafted words, but he's like, okay, we'll give it a shot. And then it always worked. And there are so many stretches of this movie that are just silent of just her and her Mm -hmm. face and um and she's one of the best there is it's excellent and you know that's all the the people who shoot um handmaid's tale uh have said in interviews that like the camera operators will like take turns being able to operate the camera when she's shooting one of her close-ups because they just are so enthralled by like watching the way her face moves in close-up hmm. and how she can telegraph and convey such nuanced emotion
0: she's a Scientologist right <laughs>
2: Yes, uh, I wonder
0: how much of <laughs> wonder how much of that was a was a backstory from Tom to Cruise, this. Elizabeth
2: Moss. So there's going to be, gonna but be, like be a, I feel
0: like the story of Scientology that you hear is very similar to this sort of like isolation, yeah. always watching, manipulation, gaslighting. Yeah, be- it's like a huge abusive relationship.
2: I believe from what I've read of interviews with her, she was raised in it, um, and so it's mm. one of those things where you know, like it's just like what her you know her parents or her, her mo- whatever parent raised her was a Scientologist, and so she just kind of raised in it. And she, you know, has taken, she, of course, defends it and has been like, that's not my experience. When people ask her, like, how can you stand by? I've seen her even take people on on Instagram um, mm. when people should be posting about handmaids and people be like, how could you mm. like w- what gives you the right to star in this show when you are part of an organization that that stands for much of what this show criticizes? And she, of course, is just like, that is absolutely not my experience of Scientology and I would never be a part of an organization that did that so Hmm, it's interesting so it's very yeah it's very tough where you have you know her saying one and yeah obviously it's a challenging thing anytime that you mention anyone's Scientologist it's it's just like this thing (laughs) is like uh, Uh, yeah I know um, but uh, but yes, but, it's I, so but she similar also similar to this.
0: It's like huge organization with big money,
2: right? Yeah, and
0: like technology and mm-hmm. like blackmailing and following and right. photographing. I don't know. It just yeah. seems very so. No wonder it's so good in that aspect.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's that.
0: So I think that like not to ruin your flow. Oh yeah, no. Should sure. we continue? We're, Is there anything else You want up. to say with all the good stuff? Right. There's, all, I know. there's a lot of good stuff that shouldn't go unrecognized. You can all right? probably the sense. Acting. You can
2: all sense that there's a butt coming. <laughs> Um, <laughs> back it up. Take
1: it. Beep, beep.
2: <laughs> um, um, there's also, I will say, it is the first half of this movie, I, I would say, is like brilliantly done all around. Um, the, you know, it, it really makes a clever use of negative space in the cinematography um you know like scene after scene after scene is negative space where you just like it's literally showing you nothing but you're just like your hair standing on end cuz you're like oh what's mm-hmm. there
1: mm-hmm.
2: um and uh, and there is a shock
3: mm.
2: there is a, a shock of a scene that happens around midway through that is one of the most jaw dropping perfectly executed shocks that I maybe have ever seen yeah Uh, The way I reacted in the theater (laughs) Is the way I don't often react (laughs) Um, So and I felt And I I think maybe the whole audience did it I don't know because I was just so like floored I like lost sense of time and space In that moment were you shocked by that?
0: Completely shocked. Yeah, completely shocked. Especially because there's, it's one of the few points in the movie where there's also this like a little bit of levity, mm-hmm. which in retrospect should, could have been a signal. <laughs> but there's this like little moment that's like kind of funny. Yeah. We laughed right. um, at at like a joke about it, and mm. then and then just immediately after, should have seen it coming. Yeah. Like there's, there's and, you're coming to like a point where it seems like things are going right. to change, and go in her favor,
2: right? Which of no. course, isn't going to work. No, and and i think i even thought to myself in that moment i was like okay like this is obviously a trap um that mm-hmm. you know that that we're being led to feel like nice and comforted for a moment um but the but the actual thing that happens is not what i ever would have imagined was going to happen
0: no but it is also it signals kind of where the movie turns around and starts to be uh disappointing yeah
2: the um yeah the 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 second half slash final act of this movie are I would say a considerable letdown from what it sets up,
0: and I think it's like trying to, trying to make this marriage of something that's incredibly dire and realistic, even though it's told in this sort of um, uh, like fantasy, unrealistic version that goes completely unrealistic, and that it doesn't balance out. It no longer has the like believability, like relatability, groundedness of the first part. And it goes, like, totally off into action, thriller, horror, sci-fi. Um, and and it just kind of, I don't know. To me, it, I found it to be very disrespectful to the beginning part of the movie that you are then going to have this, um, I don't know, just outlandish, um, so unbelievable, um, action-oriented. I don't know. It, ch- it changes the whole vibe.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it... You know it really becomes sort of like a bad 90s psychological thriller, mm. you know. Like, I think one of the you know, sort of archetypes for movies about physically abused women is Sleeping with the Enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like Sleeping with the Enemy, there's Enough, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and there's this, and uh, and this is this is a, a, a new take on it, um, in terms of how it tries to play with genre while also still being very respectful about the subject matter. Um, but yeah, it, it becomes, it becomes too focused on being a movie in the final stretch. Like it mm. gets very, it sort of, it loses, um, you know, it loses sort of the subtlety, um, of the first hour plus.
0: It's exactly what it is. And the subtlety is what makes it terrifying mm-hmm. and what makes it still reverent to the subject matter. Right. That moment we're talking about where things, it's like that pivotal Turning scary point. moment is like the bridge between yeah. like it's still grounded in like this abusive gaslighting situation mm-hmm. but then it then it you know takes a hard right to just crazy violent and then you know there's this part of it where she and him are fighting and what like eight police officers he kills like eight police officers
2: yeah yeah it, it gets to be very ridiculous um yeah. and that was yeah i think that was one of the things we were saying after the movie was that like this this thing he's using to become be invisible it's like does it also give him superpowers it kind of right. fall, it falls into that trap that these movies tend to fall into where the characters on just just unaccountably suddenly have superpowers right right um and you're like sure um even though by all accounts this suit that he's using is only all it does is make him invisible
3: right uh, it was not right. also
2: designed to give him like super strength it's not an iron man suit so yeah it definitely starts to fall off there i did not enjoy because even the ending, which you know, it has a quote unquote satisfying ending, but it just felt so forced and so kind of like self satisfied in a way mm. that I was like I wasn't I wasn't even able to enjoy it. Hmm. And there's also just a few logistical things that we talked about, such sure. as like yeah. uh there were just a few logistical things about the finale that well, were just like Costume
0: changes. Yeah.
2: Like, but how is that how's it what? Um so yeah, ultimately it was it was a letdown in the final stretch and it just didn't know how to end. And um, and I think that what I certainly wish is that it would have been just more like The Babadook, which is, I think, the gold standard for movies that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that use, um, you know, sort of different horror tropes as metaphors for, you know, the darker corners of human suffering. And, um, you know, and, and, but don't betray themselves. You know, like The Babadook was consistent all the way through. And this one, I don't know, you could just like feel, you know, universal or, you know, some studio notes being like, okay, now we got to really juice it up here. Right. Like you can have your like quiet first hour, but you got to give us a really like wham, bam, second hour, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't make any sense tonally with what came before it.
0: Right. Also, the the physical fighting scenes of the people against the Invisible Man, Mm -hmm. especially with Elizabeth Moss. we're, We're awkward.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: yeah silly and
2: at times you're just like thinking like you are just watching an actor lay on their back and pretend that they're being that they're like fighting someone off
0: right right it doesn't yeah it doesn't feel believable at all so then it just feels silly
2: yeah it did it did hit that point where it's like okay i'm watching an actor pretend that they're fighting off an invisible attacker
0: right or there's like a guy in like a green screen stretch suit right around here right and i could just see the like behind the scenes you know mm-hmm. showing her being like lifted by a harness right. or it's something. it's that
2: showmanship right it's that thing where you're like okay well now it's less about it's almost like 1917 it's almost like
0: mm-hmm. okay now it's
2: less about the actual human truth of this right. like sad horrifying moment and more about the showmanship of like look what we're doing like you're not gonna guess how we did it <laughs> um, where in in this particular context as in someone also in 1917 it's kind of like okay well that might possibly be in poor taste to make this more about the showmanship
0: mm, than mm-hmm. about
2: like the human truth of, of the moment that they're depicting right um but i mean even the fact that this is the issue we have to take like with this movie I think still shows the movie is by and large pretty triumphant yes as yeah. as like a big budget universal monster reboot that could have started fucking tom cruise <laughs> um like the fact that it <laughs> um you're like gonna be clear i still stand by that casting
0: i think it would have been fine
2: <laughs> no green suit needed um where is it <laughs> where's the little guy come where
0: out here you are you on my back <laughs>
2: <laughs> um so it,
0: so it was going to be a Scientologist, but then they picked a different Scientologist to star in it.
2: Yeah, that's what I, I was getting at earlier. Oh, yeah. sorry, I missed yes. that part. Yeah.
0: I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking.
2: you yeah, like, when'd you get here?
0: I was thinking about uh, Joe Estevez. Sorry,
2: I'm the invisible man, apparently, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I think, you know, by and large, this is still a remarkable triumph, uh, uh, for, uh, for a genre film, for a big studio film, for a reboot of a franchise.
3: Mm.
2: Um, you know, it, 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 so, so much of it is, is right. Um, but it does kind of shit the bed in its final stretch. And that is unfortunate.
0: What are you giving it, Jason?
2: <sighs> you know, I, I'm going to say binge minus. Ooh. I'm, I'm going to say binge minus. Cause like, it, I feel like so much of it is right, and so much of it is like laudable. You know, I know that when we walked out of the theater, we were both kind of much more like Ugh, about. Well, actually, no, because when I first walked out of the theater, I was like, that was great. But then you were in a much more negative place about it than I was, and so then I think we were kind of like balancing each other out. But now I'm feeling like binge minus.
0: Hmm. I mean, it's that it's that roller coaster of expectation, right? Mm. I was you know really surprised and excited to see this take on the movie, then seeing. You know, and the ways in which it poorly handled that, I was very disappointed. Coming a few days later, thinking about it more holistically, it is a win. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a win in theory, in terms of actually watching it. Um, I'm going to go consume, consume plus. Cool. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. <laughs> we can still go on with the podcast. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> movie number two, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, France, 1760. Marianne is commissioned to paint the wedding portrait of Heloise, a young woman who has just left the convent. Because she is a reluctant bride-to-be, Marianne arrives under the guise of companionship, observing Heloise by day and secretly painting her by firelight at night. As the two women orbit one another, intimacy and attraction grow as they share Heloise's first moments of freedom. Heloise's portrait soon becomes the collaborative act and a testament to their love. Tale as old as time. We've all lived it. Girl meets girl. Society does not approve.
2: And the really, story. Really, yeah. You no gonna have a... Roll credits.
0: Small window of, of happiness. Society takes over.
2: I mean, society doesn't really play that active of a role in this movie. It's, what? It, it plays out pretty much in isolation. It just happens to right. take place at is. a time that it was forbidden. Yes, it takes place at a time that like they just could not conceivably have been a couple
0: right and the woman is forced to marry somebody right that's yeah. the whole premise of the movie right yeah
2: so I mean I'm saying like talk it's, about the invisible it's, man it's like
0: Gaia <laughs> <in> Milan looming <laughs> large in
2: this time it's an invisible patriarch uh, in this in this mm. particular movie uh, yes yes of course yes um, yeah, such, such, such were the times uh,
0: 1760
2: <laughs> as Friends. Rebecca said so eloquently when she was setting it up uh, this is a movie that some might think actually came out several months ago because it did. Um, <laughs> um, but it only is pro is properly opening in our market, San Francisco, uh, this month. Uh, so we are talking about it now, even though I think we maybe talked about it in our year end episode, Maybe, but I think it ultimately didn't make your list, did it? It didn't make your top five.
0: I don't think so. Um, I know
2: you were, it was in contention for you. I gave
0: two to Jojo Rabbit.
2: That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. One for Jojo, one for Rabbit, mm-hmm. um, or one for each Jojo jo. Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so but now here it is And we're, we can uh, talk about it uh, more fully This is a movie that uh, You had a pretty positive reaction to When you watched uh, our screener
0: I did. Um, did, did Is that something that I brought up to you Or are you yeah, watching yeah. me How did you know
2: <laughs> Teacup told me this is,
0: Are you logged into my nest
2: <laughs> Teacup's like oh she's watching some Euro-fascist <laughs> lesbian propaganda <laughs> And you can just see the look in her eyes right now
0: <laughs> Again <laughs> What a delight. I mean, I feel like you, you know, these movies are often held to a high standard um, by those of us in the queer community as being exactly what we want them to be and nothing less. Mm-hmm. Um, you will speak burned, to my experience
2: and no one else's.
0: <laughs> we've burned so many times by um, the catalog Wolf-video. of Wolf Video. Yep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> From our friends at Wolf Video.
0: <laughs> and um, I didn't, you know, so I didn't have high expectations. Um, but this movie is, first of all, it is gorgeous um it the the palette it has a very like i don't know it had a very like call me by your name palette feel to it not the obviously not like the aesthetics of the style of the time but mm,
2: could have used a Sufjan Stevens song I'll i say. mean i would have liked it that would have been the one thing wouldn't have hated it mm-hmm.
0: but the palette and the general like um i don't know soft softness soft beauty of it mm. um very few characters one male speaking part maybe there's some men at the end oh, yeah. that are at the it, gallery there's like one guy that's like coming to like right. box up her like canvas or something
2: yeah the first time you see an actual male character show up at the end it's very jarring he's <laughs> just sitting there by the fire it's like where the hell did that guy come from
0: um, and it's it's, it's very
2: like, sorry ladies no more lesbianism and illicit abortion for you
0: <laughs> There's there's
2: a man back in the room <laughs>
0: I don't know I felt like that was um refreshing it was refreshingly quiet
2: this is this is just yeah you're just like enjoying the absence of of of, of loud men and, and now you no longer get to enjoy that absence because here I am mm-hmm. I just love mm-hmm. that in this movie it's basically about like you know if you leave women alone by themselves for too long they will have lesbian sex have abortions and then make art about the lesbian sex and the abortions yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's what I, that was that was that was what Teacup said. Uh, <laughs> that is that's really that's really the, the the long and the short of it. Yeah, a lot one. happens in that week for
0: them. <laughs> it's, it's it really a, is a short amount of time that um, Marielle comes, is that the character's name, I believe. Um, Wait, do you still have the synopsis in front of oh, you? Okay, let me look. <laughs> <laughs>
2: there's there's Eloise and Marianne, there's Marianne. Marianne
0: comes to paint um heloise's portrait and i think it's like a week her her, uh, her mother leaves and, mm-hmm. and they they get to hanging out there's a um a woman who kind of manages the house there with them they become friendly um That's and made hmm?
2: the young maid yeah
0: young maid i, I also like in this movie so marianne the painter uh is a, is a portrait painter and studied with her father and there's this kind of Conflict between the, the both her and Heloise because Heloise is I think more of a lady of, of, of money and is needs this portrait painted to get married and is you know already kind of betrothed to somebody mm-hmm. and because Marianne is a is a career woman in 1760 <laughs> she doesn't have to get married
2: you can tell by the shoulder pads <laughs> dead <Debt> giveaway. <laughs> And the Katie Tunstall song it plays <laughs> For her intro yeah. <laughs> Suddenly um, I see Oh my yes. god
0: <laughs> remember? What was the trailer we watched the movie for Where they played that um, Making My Way Downtown song <laughs> What was that
1: oh, Right.
2: I what lost the it that was, that was unexpected Oh
0: it was a commercial for the NBC streaming at Peacock <laughs> That's right <laughs> oh.
2: It won us over So
0: good Anyway <laughs> I digress <laughs> Back to Portion of a Lady on Fire just what a what a quiet, beautiful movie wa- watching a relationship and two people getting to know each other and have fun and understand and flirt, heavy flirting, mm-hmm. um,
2: lots of staring. This I have some friends of mine have said that their favorite genre is women staring, mm. and this is possibly the the most women staring movie that anyone will ever make. Yeah. yeah uh, because really just about one staring at the other while the other stares off into the distance.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, or but then eventually stares back. Oh. Oh. Um this is directed by a woman named Celine Siama, who is already an acclaimed uh filmmaker, uh French filmmaker uh, behind such movies as Girlhood and Tomboy. Uh and she actually the <laughs> she was in a relationship with the lead actress, Adele Enel. Uh, the one who plays uh, Eloise, mm. uh, and they had kind of had a real life scenario where Celine had kind of come to her rescue because Adele had been in a situation with a with a sort of like an abusive male director um, that she has been very outspoken about. Adele Anel is one of the few um, French actresses who actually has, has been outspoken about Me Too because France famously is very mm. bad at it. Um, right, but didn't
0: Isabel Hubert say something ridiculous about it? Hmm? Didn't Isabel Hubert say something ridiculous about it?
2: Oh, everyone. They all do. Okay. That's the thing. Um, so Adele Hanel is one of the only ones who's actually, like, on the right side mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, just
0: yesterday, right? She walked out of the... Yeah, just, yeah. I Cesare think today,
2: Awards? yeah. Both of them did. Céline and Adele both walked out together when Roman Polanski was named best director. Um, so, yeah, France is very much not on the side of uh, of, of Me Too. And it was very just like, eh, but that's called being a woman. It's a wonderful thing. Oh God. Um. So. Oh God, uh, your accent. <laughs> so, um. But yeah. So, and Celine, you know, kind of was there for her, and then the two of them had a relationship, and then they broke up, and then Celine made this movie, which is makes the movie processing.
0: <laughs> so, that explains a lot
2: Yeah she she broke up with her Girlfriend and then she made a movie where she cast her Girlfriend um, as the subject Of a portrait and the movie itself was the Portrait that she was making of her ex-girlfriend wow. And it's about a couple that ultimately Can't be together so it is One <laughs> big act of lesbian processing <laughs> <laughs> And certainly one Of the probably one of the more pleasant uh, uh, yeah. uh, Such accounts This is a movie that I saw Tiff Ding and you know, I will say that this is this is probably a movie that I admire more than I personally like. I'm just like, yeah, I love that movie. Of course, like, like it is, it is incredibly, incredibly, as you mentioned, quiet. I would I would describe it as slow, slow going, hmm. and ultimately, like I didn't, I don't feel, I don't feel feelings. <laughs> I don't, I don't. This movie does not make me emotional. Um, it's sure, an, it is not. You know, I don't feel really the eroticism. I don't feel the, ultimately, the sadness. Um, It just, for me, it's very, it's a very, it it doesn't, it didn't really engage me on an emotional level. So, like, aesthetically, I was enjoying it, but I didn't feel pulled in by any sort of emotional thing. I I watched it again recently in a theater with two um, friends, and they were both sobbing at the end. Oh, wow. And I, as usual, felt like a monster. Yeah. Um, these old man as always, and just kind of sitting there minding my business and being like, well, yeah, I appreciate what's happening. And, you know, and there is at least one, really, there's one visual flourish that I love, um, wherein, uh, they set up this kind of final moment by having, uh, Marianne's character repeatedly see this 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 image almost was this apparition of, mm. of Eloise wearing this what appears to be some sort of like white like dressing gown mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just like standing in like the saturated light just appearing in like doorway is very ghost like um, and that's sort of setting up this finale but so yeah I mean I think it's 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 beautifully made it's beautifully acted and so I appreciate it. But I am i am not personally like, oh, that movie, I love it so much. Like, I'm hearing so much of that. Mm. And, um, and I personally just don't connect with it that way. I don't know mm. about you.
0: Um, I think, you know, I, I felt pretty strongly when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's able to capture, you know, a lot of relatable feelings of, you know, wrong, <laughs> wrong time. Um, what it's like to move past a relationship while still having really strong feelings or respect or thoughts about a, t- a time in life um and the kind of melancholy that surrounds uh knowing that someone maybe is still thinking about you um so in that way i felt like it was it was very easy to connect to i think it you know it has a bit of a mm, the characters in the movie are standoffish mm-hmm. right there's like a there's one woman who's trying desperately to protect her individuality there's another who is able to navigate the world with a sense of individuality and protects that as well. So it's not like it's not like an Italian movie. I don't know. There isn't like a doesn't overflowing with warmth. <laughs> um, yeah,
2: it doesn't give the big bosom a hug. An Italian movie would we'll give you. But
0: I mean, you know, a It gives you a I'm chilly like,
2: French handshake. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding! No more handshakes. No handshakes, guys. Wash your hands. <laughs>
0: um, but I still felt like in that. The acting is so good that you can feel the 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 worlds of emotion within these women. Um, So, yeah, no, I would say that it 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 touched me emotionally.
2: It does have a very satisfying ending. It does. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, much more even even though there is all of this sort of, you know, sadness and unrequited love. uh, There is a very, very satisfying ending Mm -hmm. um, waiting at the waiting for you there. Um, where are you gonna get this one?
0: Oh, I'm giving it a binge. It okay? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. I would say like I would probably also say like binge minus for this one. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I I, I certainly do admire it.
0: I'm having the movie that is like both, um, top drawer art house. And it involves, you know, uh, a same-sex relationship that is in no way, you know, in in the male gaze. Mm -hmm. I think when we were just talking back to Invisible Man about, like, let's make sure to, like, appreciate those things when we see them. Mm -hmm. It's pretty rare. Usually it's like you have to give, you have to compromise something. It's like, well, it was this, but it was that, but it was directed by Roman Polanski, but it's a Woody Allen. You know what I mean? There's always a something.
2: The female gaze in this movie has at least one really uh, sort of winking on-screen representation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in, in which True. a woman looks at her, the reflection of her face in a hand mirror, positioned in another woman's vagina.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That is the female gaze. It's
0: called <laughs> mirroring. <laughs> Get in the know, Jason. <laughs> um, oh, jeez. Yeah. So you said...
2: Yeah, you? Like, yeah, like binge minus, yeah.
0: Okay. You just gotta throw that minus in. <laughs> <laughs> um... I'm actually going to switch these around a little bit. Um, The next movie we're going to talk about is um, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. Speaking of feminism. (laughs) (laughs) Birds of Prey is a twisted tale told by Harley herself, as only Harley can tell it. Oh, my God. When Gotham's most nefariously narcissistic villain, Roman Sionis, puts a target on a young girl named Cass, the city is turned upside down looking for her. Harley, Huntress, Black Canary, and Renee Montoya's paths collide. And the unlikely foursome have no choice but to team up to take Roman down. Jason, can you just refresh um, the audience's memory a little bit about the Harley Quinn characters in the past, if for you know those who haven't seen the Batman Joker movies?
2: Sure. Me? Um, well, and there's really not that much to know because she um, she existed entirely in the um, animated versions of, uh, of of Batman stories
1: oh.
2: uh, prior to Suicide Squad. Uh, which was ah. the first time that she had actually been a character in a movie. So, Margot Robbie is the only actress who's ever actually played this character in a movie. Um, and Suicide Squad was a wreck. What was it uh, again? So Suicide Squad was, you know, uh, was a story where it was you know in the D- in the DC universe, and it was. Uh, about sort of this idea of getting all these different villains together. Oh, this one was Will Smith. Will Smith. Oh, we saw this together. <laughs> oh, did we see it together? <laughs> yeah. Okay. There was um, like
0: the Latin guy.
2: Yeah, there was, yeah, all these different, all these different guys. They're in that bar. And, um, and then, okay. yeah, and then Harley's in the mix. And um and so in that, in that movie, you know, was kind of a mess. And I think it just tried to sort of introduce entirely too many characters and their mythologies. And, and then it was just kind of like a muddled, not fun experience. And also, you know jumping ahead a bit you know we're we're, you know since we're talking about the you know female gaze versus male gaze the juxtaposition um between harley and suicide squad and harley and birds of prey is like truly should be studied textbook example of looking at a character through a male versus a female gaze Mm. because suicide squad was male directed Mm -hmm. birds of prey is female written and female directed and harley in suicide squad there were these lingering shots of her body Mm. um throughout that movie like she was introduced with one of those like starts at her feet and like you know tilt pans up over her long legs and her little little short shorts and her her you know her exposed midriff and her little tiny top serve her body was the point of every shot she was in Mm. in that movie and this movie does not do that
0: it did that to a breakfast sandwich it,
2: exactly I fucking enjoyed <laughs> exactly it saves that salacious the most kind of,
0: sexualized thing in this movie is that goddamn breakfast is sandwich breakfast
2: sandwich and there's, all, there's another scene in the movie where the villain uh, played by Ewan McGregor um, playing was very clearly a role that was great for Sam Rockwell uh, <laughs> Sam Rockwell passed. Um, And so, you McGregor had to do his like Sam Rockwell shuffle dancing. Yeah. um, To be like, hey, (laughs) I swear I'm not trying to be Sam Rockwell. (laughs) So, there's a scene where you McGregor um, humiliates a woman's body um, in his club. Mm. Um, And even the way that that scene is shot is an an excellent example of like, you know, female creatives being like, we are not going to join him in objectifying her body. Because he's like he's like makes her take her clothes off, and it's just a humiliating scene, and it is absolutely not. We don't join in the leering. We're mm. not. It doesn't show her body. Um, it's it, it's about his violence
3: mm-hmm.
2: and the and the actual emotional trauma it causes her, as opposed to like yeah, a full body shot of him ripping a dress off some some lady, and so we can look at her boobs. Um, so <laughs> there's, I think that's how straight men think, right? Mm. Um, so. Hearing you say
0: it is great. <laughs> <laughs> boobs so <laughs>
2: so yeah so there, there's 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 a lot you know similar to The Invisible Man this is another movie where you know you have a major studio major franchise um, that is making some really commendable choices mm-hmm. uh, in how they are in how they're spinning off sort of like in an intellectual property
0: this movie's also kind of a mess go on no um, I'm a big fan of this, movie but, yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, yeah, of course. okay <laughs> it's kind of a mess. i there's there, there's a lot there's a lot of you know, a lot of characters who are introduced in given times and varying degrees, although they're all considered this like birds of prey group, mm-hmm. which I think is a little confusing. Um, part of it's a mess by design, right? There's this like, harley Quinn is this incredibly chaotic character yes. in um hurricane force and mm-hmm. you can't have a movie about her i assume with you know and have it be a portrait of Lady on fire right you're not gonna have this like beach <laughs> although, although
2: that title would also apply to but this also movie, apply right yeah, yeah, yeah no
0: yeah um i think the thing about this movie that cannot be said loudly enough is that margot robbie is fucking amazing
2: oh she's so good she
0: she's- is an enigma I, I feel like you don't know who she is. No. I feel like she comes into these movies and like continually there's this expectation of her being this, you know, pretty woman wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's like the way that it, the marketing exists. There isn't like a, a lot out there to um, be contrary to that other than her body of work. Right. Yeah. And in this movie, it is. I don't know. I could just sit there and watch her do anything. And this and I don't mean it in a creepy way like she is so engaging and entertaining and <laughs> she just like because
2: I have a female gaze. <laughs> 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 it's not creepy when a female gaze watching a woman do literally anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she like these nonsense scenes that are going through like these police station prison breaks mm-hmm. and like corny lyrics and silly graphics and you know the whole DC Hot Topic. Yeah, yes that. The hot Topic of it all. Which like, you know, is very off-putting for a lot of people. Um, the DC like way they work with violence which is like a lot of like real guns but not real effects and it's like a strange surreal real approach to like death and, and, and gunshots um, regardless every scene yeah. she just fucking owns and I will, I will just watch
2: briefly to circle back to one thing you just acknowledge I want to I, before I forget the fight scene choreography in this movie mm. is unbelievable mm. holy shit this is not one of those yep. movies where it's like CG. It's not like CG crouching no. tiger, people leaping around. Like this is actual <laughs> like, this, like this is yeah, like, like
0: the Matrix. You know, it's
2: not that kind of bullshit. <laughs> like it is actual like hand to hand combat, and it is incredible and also very bone crunching.
1: Um, <laughs> yes, yes.
2: But yes. no, I was yeah. When I watched this with Scott, and we were when we were walking back afterward, and I was like, Marco Robbie is like, it's like you built a movie star in a lab.
0: Yes. Um,
2: Yes. Because she is, you know, visual medium. She is one of the most breathtakingly beautiful women who's ever been on on screen. But she also contains unknown multitudes of like emotional access and is so different from role to role to role. Like to your point, she's a chameleon. She's a chameleon, even though she's, yeah, she's like unmistakable, but she's a true chameleon. She's so different in every role. Like, you know, you watch her in Wolf of Wall Street, you watch her in Itania, you watch her in these movies. in the, that level of intensity and chaos that she can crank up in her mm-hmm. face in this movie, mm-hmm. and just you know blast those peepers wide, and you're just <laughs> like you're like holy shit! Like yeah, you could definitely fuck up anyone you want to. You are terrifying. Yeah,
0: it's a very i Harley.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um Or even like you you saw Mary Queen of Scots, right? Yeah. With, I mean, that, yeah, that, that that's she is. I adore her. and She might be
0: like AI. We might find out <laughs> yes. that she's like an AI experiment.
2: It's very possible because we have I'm,
0: crossed the uncanny valley no, and we're right into we, canny.
2: Yeah, we're 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 it's happening to us. We don't even know it. It's just like that Simone movie from back in the day. We're getting Simone'd uh, by <laughs> by Margot Robbie. Uh, but you know, like if the AI, if it keeps performing this way, I'm fine with it. Um, <laughs> she is she is fantastic, and uh, and she is. I mean, God bless that she exists in the stature that she has that she can get this movie financed you know that she can and that she can use her because she's also a producer and i mean she is the one who got i made you know she was like developing that from really early on um and you know i'm sure she played no small part in getting dc to hire christine dodson to write the script uh she also christine dodson wrote bumblebee which was a very slept on but fantastic late entry in the, in the Transformers franchise. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. The one with Haley Steinfeld. Mm-hmm. That movie is fucking great. Um, and it's directed by a woman named Kathy Yan, who doesn't really have any major credits. Hmm. Um, and boy, this was fucking a lot to take on. Um, and I, I think that by and large, she nails it. I totally agree with you that the movie does feel very messy and chaotic at times. So I almost feel like that's a feature, not a bug. You know? <laughs> like- I don't
0: know. Rosie Perez, I felt like there are a couple of things that could have been better her it, character and that general story um was a little play, weird she plays lesbian she does play a lesbian with ali wong yes that's right
2: uh, it's always one of
0: those unexpected things where i'm just like is that Allie wong because <laughs> i don't recognize people enough to be right. confident so when it's like an unexpected person I'm right the and you're
2: just like is it okay if i ask this question <laughs> uh,
0: uh i i do want to talk to you about one thing i'm gonna get your thoughts on um, Ewan McGregor And his sidekick The guy from Chris Messina Chris Messina The guy from uh... <laughs> Oh come on
2: he, He's in the Mini, pod, mini Project mini Sharp Project. Objects
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, Also famously I once uh, I once told, Famously Famously I once told Scott That uh, That Chris Messina Was going to be At the Castro Theater Because they were doing A screening of a movie He was in And what he heard was a drag queen, a holiday-themed drag queen whose name is <gasps> Christmasina. <laughs> so I will always think Christmasina, spelled like Christmas with I N A at the end. Because um, <laughs> I mean, the context—I mean, I don't blame Scott. I was like, "Oh yeah, Christmasina is of the Castro." He was like, "Oh, who is she?"
3: Oh, Jesus Christ.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, sorry to all of you, because now you also probably think that whenever you hear Chris Messina's name. <laughs> it's ruined uh, forever. It's, but now I'm
0: never going to forget his name. got to go by
2: Christopher Messina now. Never
0: going to be like that guy from Indie Project ever again.
2: <laughs> oh, no, now no. Now it's cemented. Now it's holiday-themed drag queen, Chris <laughs>
0: Um. <laughs> so I felt like those villains had a lot of... Um, the a antiquated, homo-racism. yeah, like like queer villain situation going on, mm. like the Hugh McGregor being like so in like, like in Jojo Rabbit, like in Jojo,
2: which is the, probably the role Sam Rockwell took. This <laughs> casting the other one. He playing, was like, oh, I have these because he queer was a queer villain in that instead of queer villain to in play.
0: this. Um, but in that one, at least he's like actually queer. This is just like a weird. It, to me, this one had a more, I don't know, old time movie queerness of a villain. That he was like also You know he was also A real villain Where in Jojo Rabbit He wasn't really a villain So much as just he was like Just
2: a Nazi
1: Someone uh,
0: Look <laughs> Don't make me say this Sometimes Put people on both sides <laughs> People just get caught up In the system it shows the complexity of humanity. <laughs> Jesus. Uh,
2: yeah, no, I mean... This I guy would, is like, I mean, rips
0: people's faces off for pleasure. But the difference
2: Villain. also in that movie is that he actually was, it was, you know, like, yeah, to your point, he was a, a character who identif- is identified, you know, we figure out actually is gay. Um, and in this, I would say it's more of like, there is like there is like a homoerotic charged connection between Ewan's character and Christmas's character. Um <laughs> but it but he's also like very much obsessed with the female body and you know so i don't think he's I actually i mean
0: you're telling me that there are gay men that are not obsessed with the female you're yeah, like me yeah, right yeah. now no, no, wearing no a fucking no. Dolly Parton shirt.
2: no i mean i mean you know when he like rips that woman's dress off you know like i think i don't think he's actually meant to be gay like well, i think I, he's actually I,
0: meant to be like sexualizing her he's meant to be demeaning her
2: well sure no i know um but all the same it felt like it was meant to be sort of like a sexual humiliation um mm. of of this character. Uh so you
0: didn't get the queer vibes from him?
2: No, I mean like I think he's he's playing uh, you know, sort of an eccentric flamboyant character, but I think flamboyance doesn't always have to be code for for queer. Sure. Uh, but I in think. this
0: in this particular case, you didn't know No, think no, it was? I know.
2: I didn't I didn't think the character was meant to be gay. I didn't think mm. they were meant to be a couple. Okay. Um but No, not a
0: couple. But that kind of that went that's how it sort of started, and then it then I felt Christmas is like Was going in a different direction And then it just seemed like Maybe you McGreg- McGregor's character Was queer Um
2: yeah yeah I mean I guess I didn't really take that away from it hmm.
0: Okay. Um,
2: but I mean like I wouldn't be mad at the idea of a story about like the rampant misogyny of like white cis gay men <laughs> so... are we talking
0: about Buttigieg again
2: <laughs> Rebecca and I were having tense words prior to the taping of this episode <laughs> about one ma- about one about one Mayor Pete <laughs> um, but okay. uh, but yeah no I mean I, I think that um, no I mean I didn't think that they were regressive except for the fact that you know it was regressive to see Euma McGregor doing a Sam Rockwell impression but aside from that <laughs> I didn't really take issue with those characters but I hear what okay, you're saying
0: okay cool um what are you giving this one
2: uh you know what I'm I'm going to be really annoying and give another binge minus
0: I'm gonna give it a consume all right all right okay all right this is show that got has gotten really political since yeah. we're only seeing each other once a month I
2: know
0: I feel like we're no longer like f- tooth and nailing it that or we're just ne- we've never now, now more aligned apparently interesting okay So next, we're going to talk about the movie, Come to Daddy. Norval Greenwood, a privileged man-child, arrives at the beautiful and remote coastal cabin of his estranged father, who he hasn't seen in 30 years. He quickly discovers that not only is his dad a disapproving jerk, he also has a shady past that is rushing to catch up with him. Now hundreds of miles away from his cushy comfort zone, Norval must battle with demons both real and perceived in order to reconnect with the father he barely knows.
2: So you went and saw a special screening of this. I did, and uh, and uh, your lady
0: soul got a special little picture out of it. She did. We saw the um, uh, Alamo director actor Q and A showing of this, um, where director Aunt Timpson and Elijah Wood were there to basically hang out with the owner of Alamo Theaters, who was like Tim League. Yep, mm-hmm, who was kind of drunk. And just kept being like, can't we do that? Can we get someone to do that? (laughs) Can they do that? (laughs) Uh, But they looked like they were having a blast. They were uh, old friends, and they were talking about this movie that's basically a passion project of a guy who worked in the film industry never thought he could make his own movie, was inspired by the passing of his own father to be like, I can't continue to live my life without trying to make something of my own. Made some connections and friends along the way, and lo and behold, we have this um, pretty small movie that doesn't, feel like it is made by a first time filmmaker indie budget.
2: And I read that Aunt Timpson actually spent a week in the same house as his embalmed father. Did he talk about that?
0: Yeah, I guess it was I forgot what the reasoning was. It was their mother thought it would be a good idea, but he, they they brought the father's body to the house and they made them stay there and then she like left to go stay with her sister so like he and his brothers had to stay with his father in the house so well easy for her to volunteer them for that Uh, Then she's like you know
2: what would be fun
0: (laughs) you guys do this and i'm classic
2: mom bait and switch
0: (laughs) (laughs) i need some me time
2: jesus christ
0: yeah so that was actually his inspiration for this kind of story um or the jumping off point i think
2: and uh and you got to meet elijah wood
0: um, I mean, I kind of sat on a couch and watched him talk to people. Right. Um, but did
2: you take the picture that Soul has with him?
0: Uh, no, I took a, a picture from the sidelines. But um, oh, who, he, took, who took the picture of her of her, her and Elijah? I think he had like a manager.
2: Oh, he had like somebody line with him. Like, yeah. oh, was there like a line? People like take a about, little bit. It yeah. was a small
0: line. There was. It wasn't that like well attended like of a clamor. <laughs> no, no. <Yeah. laughs> but still, right? Like anyone in in that group of people who had seen sure. any Lord of the Rings movie was like, please, of course. I have to see this Did
2: uh did Sol have a good experience? Oh my gosh, she
0: lost her mind. <laughs> she gets really weird. Like, she, she might not know really... Sir McLaughlin, but she knows oh, Elijah wow. Wood. <laughs> she gets very in like um very nervous around famous people. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's the cutest thing in the world. She gets very overwhelmed. Um but I'm really proud that she went and and yeah. when i approached him she just gets very nervous and he was so nice you know he was like oh what's your name again you know he was Aww. very sweet like he was he was there for the for for that time well, i wish i could have watched that happen. Uh, it was adorable so um
2: send it into her favorite pope magazine as a <laughs> for, the, yeah. for the star sightings page in the pope magazine i know
0: right Aww. oh we need to get a new a new edition of that magazine i know i wonder how the pope what the pope thinks about coronavirus
2: that's what i want to know Right, break your legendary silence, Pope. <laughs> That's <what I'm> gonna, <laughs> You want to hear what you I'm think? I'm sure he
0: has a lot of thoughts about it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. And you saw this movie also at Alamo? Or you know?
2: No, no. I just I rented on VOD because it was a day and date uh, title. Ah, right. So okay. I was able to watch it from the comfort of my home uh, for a mere six ninety nine. Uh so yes uh I watched it then and you you watched it first and you tipped me off to it. Uh mm-hmm. I had heard of it but I certainly wasn't planning to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um but then you gave it quite a ringing endorsement.
0: Yeah, so we have a, it's a it's a horror thriller comedy um about a young man Norval who um his father left when he was 5. He is the worst.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um you know so. kind of a whole like fire festival of <sighs> yeah meets like
2: he's just like a self-styled music industry hipster who's actually just full of shit right his phone was designed by lord
0: right he has the worst haircut on earth basically looks like he hangs out also with grimes and elon musk
2: right i saw the haircut described as medieval monk Uh, (laughs) and we know people who wear that hair so
0: just like the worst la hipster music scene Mm -hmm. uh type guy and he comes to hang out with his father in this like again another majestic seaside mansion yes, house right where are that. these houses from
2: jesus i don't even know but yeah supposedly he, so he you know received a, a, a letter from his father mm-hmm. asking him to come and um and so he doesn't know what he's getting into and he's very you know sort of nervous of course because his father banned his family like he mentioned at a very young age and so you know and so whatever is in his mind for what he thinks is going to happen when he gets there is not exactly what does happen I don't know how much of the story we want to get into. Yeah, I don't want to get too much
0: because I feel like the same, what you just said also describes the audience. You know, what you think is going to happen is yeah, not going to happen.
2: Because I will say that even having seen the trailer, because, I, yeah, Alamo played this trailer before a bunch of movies um, that I was seeing there. So having seen the trailer, this movie is not at all what I thought it was going to be mm, based mm-hmm. on the trailer. So I was pretty surprised um whenever I actually watched it. So I want to preserve that for all of yeah. you. So we don't want to get into the um the mechanics of the plot too much. Mm-hmm. Um what I want to talk about is Elijah Wood's skincare regimen because <laughs> that <laughs> ageless little cherub <laughs> his skin is just porcelain perfection. Yeah, uh, it really is. Just soft, supple, beautiful. Like I uh, this he does not age. And Mm -hmm. he is just like trapped as like a little boy uh, forever. Yeah, and he wears it well. So I'm, you know, I'm good with it. I feel like I have not really seen him play the lead in a movie in a very long time, Mm -hmm. and so it was actually it was quite a pleasure to sort of watch him, uh, you know, play this movie off. Because for long stretches of it, it feels almost like a one man show. Like it's very much just him. And he is just... He gives it all. Like, he is... This is a fantastic performance by Elijah Wood.
0: Yeah, that it really is most of the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. all these kind of things move around behind what you think is going to happen, what you don't think is going right. to happen. But it's really about him, him being tested by these different circumstances, him being someone... I th- He also is... He. It's perfectly cast for this role. Mm-hmm. You know, you see photos of him in real life. There's that like meme going around right now where he's like riding around on a lime, and it's like me on my way to go get my like artisanal coffee and my <laughs> shoes cobbled or whatever. <laughs> um, but also, so there's that which is like part of what the character is. This like detestable, mm-hmm. like self centered um, asshole that you would hate and then but also um, very
2: insecure and that's that's right. part of the character's thing too is that like right. he's, he's just creating all this bluster to try to like win his dad's approval
0: right and then you're then you're with someone who is just like him being scared and him trying to figure out this like terrible situation mm-hmm. and once again like his eyes his expression his warmth is um you could again it's like a margot robbie situation i will sit there and mm-hmm. watch him do anything
2: yeah um so, well, another comparison I would make between this and The Invisible Man, in addition to sort of like the seaside manse, is I would also say this is a movie that I feel like falls apart uh, in the second half.
3: Mm, I would think mm. the, fir- the
2: first half of this movie, similar to that one, is really brilliantly made. And similar to that one also is really just long stretches of silence, mm-hmm. lots of negative space, lots of just sort of atmospheric tension. abuse Coming from no... Yes, related. abuse, yes. Um, but then, it's similar to that one, once the twist is revealed... Uh, midway through then i felt like this one re- i was like wait wh- what what what's happening i was like keeping up with it for a while but then once it kind of leaves the primary setting i was like okay now truly what the fuck am i watching yeah, what is yeah. this about now um and um you know and then kind of has a uh, sort of like a you know bittersweet borderline sort of sentimental conclusion that I wasn't totally certain i felt like it had earned uh because like it had just mm, been such mm. complete chaos for like the last twenty <laughs> twenty five minutes um and some extremely gory extremely yeah, gory yeah. stuff here, mm-hmm. so you definitely have to if you if you can't hang with major gore um <laughs> then this is not perhaps the title for you yeah. but, if, but if you just go woohoo, whenever you see it then <laughs> this is this is for you,
0: I think the thing that makes this to me a little bit easier to swallow than the invisible man i agree there's definitely this midpoint that that mm-hmm. goes off the chain not in a great way but in the invisible man that part that upset me because i, I found everything so serious and mm-hmm. i thought that it needed a respect right where in this one there is this unexpected comedy throughout the whole thing so even the right. second part where it's like off the off the the rails it's mm-hmm. there's still funny parts so i'm still enjoying it and i don't feel like it's like necessarily like hurting the f- the first part of the movie
2: right right yeah no i would agree like I, I i do think that yeah for invisible man the second the the final act is more of it does undermine um mm-hmm. you know sort of the integrity and the sort of thoughtfulness of the beginning thank where, you for where, articulating what i was thinking where, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where, it. whereas with this yeah it's kind of like it didn't really it was like okay it's just it's it was a story that was being told well and then it suddenly wasn't really being told as well
0: right right yeah yeah it does yeah second part is unexpected and um, unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, there's not much more to say because you also don't want to ruin what right. what happens. Yeah. Um I would
2: say Stephen McHattie, the actor who plays his dad, mm-hmm. uh, is also the really he's he <laughs> really goes for broke. This yeah. is this is this is this is a performance that will make you physically uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Um like that was part of watching the trailer I was like, oh no 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 he was
0: so intense. The yeah. whole Elton John part
2: yeah that was it's amazing oof, yeah so good uh, so but yeah that is come to daddy where are you giving this I'm
0: gonna say I'm gonna say binge it okay and I'll tell you why <laughs>
2: <laughs> not if I tell you first
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, enjoy the time with Elijah Wood
2: yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you'll love
0: it I, I would say don't binge it if you don't like extreme gore right or horror but otherwise if that doesn't bother you I say binge it
2: uh Yeah, I would go consume plus. Yeah,
0: okay. Wow, wow, such, such peaceful <laughs> times we have. Okay, this is the one I've been waiting for, the one I feel like we have um, much to argue about maybe. We'll see. <laughs> uh, downhill, barely escaping an avalanche during a family ski vacation in the Alps, a married couple is thrown into disarray as they are forced to reevaluate their lives and how they feel about each other.
2: Uh, so, uh, so uh, when we were approaching this movie, I know this is also one that that Rebecca has watched, and she'll be talking about this shortly. Has watched both versions of this movie within almost the last forty eight hours. Mm-hmm. Yep, you watched Downhill Thursday night, and you watched Force Majeure last night. Mm-hmm. It's currently Saturday afternoon, as we mentioned, Leap Day. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I had I had suggested that if if you were able to watch this one, that you watch them in that order, um, mm-hmm. since most People coming to Downhill are more familiar with Force Majeure, having seen that one first, which was a Swedish movie directed by Ruben Ostlund from 2014 um, that Julia Louis-Dreyfus saw and loved and just planted her flag in and was like, I want to make the English language version of this movie um, and thus giving us Downhill, which just premiered at Sundance last month. I, I saw Force Majeure, you know, the year that it came out and it was on my year-end list. I was a huge fan of it, you know, and I was cautiously optimistic about I didn't categorically reject this movie just because I heard that it existed. Like, you know, this movie has been pilloried by critics Mm -hmm. um, because critics feel like it's somehow our job to, you know, discourage trends that we don't like by just categorically dumping on them regardless of their, you know, quality. Mm. Um, so, you know, like, you know, like critics will always say any American remake of an international film is terrible and shouldn't have been made. Mm. Um, and that, that definitely is what the critics said about, <laughs> <laughs> about downhill. Um, but it's actually, you know, I was optimistic about uh, the cast, mm. uh, and also it is written and directed by, um, Jim Rash and Nat Faxon who co-wrote the descendants with, with Alexander Payne. They won the, the Oscar along with him for the screenplay. Mm. Um, and they are sort of, you know, sort of quirky, interesting, not always successful filmmakers in their own right. I think they, they did the movie, the, what's it called? The, the Way Back, The Way Way Back. It was like sort of like a, a 80s family dramedy with Tony Collette from a few years mm. back. Um, so, yeah. So now there is this. Um, and at times... I was very much reminded of those sketches in SNL that Will Ferrell used to do with Anna Gossire, where they were the family having dinner and it was oh, always yeah. awkward and it was just all of them silently pushing their food around and then somebody <laughs> would say something and then somebody would else would be like snarky and then they would all start yelling at the same time and it would end with Will Ferrell screaming, I drive a Dodge Stratus! And then... So... The, <laughs> I was very much reminded of that watching uh, <laughs> watching Downhill. But um, but enough about me.
0: No, I want to hear what you think. Oh, you, I mean, want, I've you, you want
2: me to get my full spiel now and then I, you'll dump in and, yeah, I've and, read and the rip re- me apart? Review.
0: No, well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it all goes well. <laughs> Fingers crossed.
2: So, um, okay, yeah. So, I'll say, so I've already said, I think Force Majeure is a masterpiece. Um, this movie, I think that I truly wish that you know, there's a way for me to do what you did, which was to like to watch it without the prior knowledge of Force Majeure and to mm-hmm. see what I would have thought of it then. Um, but that's not my reality. Um, (laughs) so what I'll say for Force Majeure or for Downhill rather is that I think that the performance Julia Louis-Dreyfus gives in this movie is one of the most just stunning dramatic comedic performances I have seen in a very long time. It is staggering like there's one scene in particular
1: mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. um that we don't even have to say cuz we both know what we're talking about
1: mm-hmm.
2: that she like i have no words like i'm getting chills thinking about the performance that she gives in this scene like it, yeah it, like people were crying like it is it is just it's so good it's an incredible it's an incredible performance and so like i get that like since this this remake only exists because of her at least she comes through mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. like she delivers in this movie. And she is an actress who, of course, we all know is one of the world's best, but she doesn't get a lot of film work. Right. Um, and you know, she is sort of like one of our foremost, possibly the most decorated TV actress of all time. Mm. Um, but here she is and she doesn't do a lot of film, you know. She was fantastic and Enough Said, Nicole Hoffsoner's movie from a few years back, where she was opposite James Gandolfini, and she is fantastic in this. Is the cast around her on the same level? No. <laughs> um, but, you know, not bad. Uh, there, are uh, you know, Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell's casting is probably what immediately set a lot of critics on edge. <laughs> Just thinking like, okay, like, so now it's a Will Ferrell movie. Mm. Um, like, so obviously it's going to be shitty. But Will Ferrell does some really, you know, sort of understated work. He's not like, you know, he, he really goes to like the painful, hard to watch places that the movie requires him to go. And he is kind of, you know, good casting a sense of him as this sort of dad who, you know, is like lovable dad, but then just sort of like obliviously, yeah, flees his family at this key moment and then cannot bring himself to acknowledge what happened because it was just, he is embarrassed. Um, And then there's also some fine performances by Zach Woods <laughs> and, uh, and an actress whose name I don't know as sort of a... Couple friends of uh, Will Ferrell's who he sort of gradually invites to come around more and more as his family <laughs> devolves um, while all on this vacation. This, the movie also introduces the sort of, like, ugly American dynamic that's not enforced major Majeure because, you know, we have to serve sort of, the Americans abroad mm, right. aspect of it, and in particular a scene where, the, you know, Julia and Will go to confront the security staff of the ski, ski resort to complain right. about their safety.
0: Played by a character who also Played by a Tormund
2: in, from Game of Thrones. Who's also
0: in Force Majeure. Who's also
2: in Force mm-hmm. And um, so, so I think that it plays with that part you know part of it well too um I do think force majeure ultimately is it still a better film I think it's just it, the part of what makes it work in a way that this doesn't is that kind of Swedish clinical detachment and bemusement mm. that it has watching these characters play out this this sort of this domestic nightmare um, <laughs> and I think also you know and not not knowing the actors they maybe helps a little bit too hmm. um, you can come to it fresh and just kind of have this experience of, of of, you know, these actors who just there's not so much clowning from European actors in general. So there's sure. no there's no mugging, there's no clowning, there's no like lingering, like, you know, sort of like winking to camera moments. Right. Um so I think Force Major is still a, a better film than Downhill, but I think the Downhill does have a right to exist if only for Julia Louis-Dreyfus's performance. Um and uh and I and I yeah, I, I would I would probably recommend if people haven't seen both God, I don't know what I would say. Because I do think Force Majeure is better, but I don't want to tell people, oh, you should never watch Downhill. And part of me has wondered also if like the very negative blowback to Downhill is going to have any impact on the on like the English language parasite um mm. reboot remake or whatever that supposedly that they're developing for HBO.
0: That seems weird.
2: Um, except for, you know, Director Bong is involved, I guess, and is like given his blessing. And I think it's gonna be more of like an anthology or I don't even know, but but I do wonder if, like, the abysmal failure of Downhill um, is going to have any sort of chilling effect on this ongoing phenomenon of, like, you know, English language remakes of international films.
0: Mm, I wonder. Over to you. Okay. Um, so, first I want to say, <laughs> uh, thank you, Jason. Um, so, the premise of these movies is fucking genius. mm mm-hmm. <laughs> And you can't take that away from either film. No. Either way, either whatever we're I mean, about can kind route take it you away you from go.
2: downhill because it didn't come up with it, but yes.
0: <laughs> no, no, I mean in terms of like enjoyment watching the movie. Sure. Yes.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um. So you're you're gonna win either way because it's fucking amazing. Yeah. Um. And I think that the movies are also so incredibly similar. Like, mm-hmm. sure, there are these like differences, like European and American ways of mm-hmm. handling these actors that are different. But like, like shot for shot, almost like in the same. Are you know what's going to happen next? They aren't wildly different at all. So, mm-hmm. I think in that way, whichever one you see first, you're going to like more, mm. um, because they're not so. You, you already know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's hard, and maybe it's because I saw them within 24 hours of each other. <laughs> right. it also, might be a different factor, but right. um, you've already know you already know the point, the plot, the difficulty. They aren't handled so wildly different that um, that you. Are gonna find something fresh in, in the second one that you see. Mm. I think downhill's better because, um, and again, this might be because I saw it first, mm. but I think that the unbelievable cringiness, awkwardness, like there are... It was like, um, in the, i was like, I was singing in the theater and just being like, I wish an avalanche would come in here right now because I <laughs> fucking want to die. Did this you see is, it by yourself? Uh, no, I saw it with Soul, <laughs> um, and it—I mean, the movie is both movies are terrible like it's a, t- <laughs> it's a terrible thing um but but i think that um in a, in a situation like that the more relatable the the framing is the more you can get the more you're you or see yourself in that character so because Will Ferrell and, and, and Julia Wee-Dreyfus's characters are so American where she's like I'm gonna sue and they talk right. a lot more and they're like getting the kids together and they're like get a power bar like it's a very relatable world that right. you're in
2: yeah, well, to, us, yeah. to us to us right, to us right? Yeah, and I'm speaking American as an American person right. yeah, in,
0: in an American podcast <laughs> right, right.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're like in Barcelona I was always trying to grab a power bar on the way out the door So
0: <laughs> I mean we went to Starbucks every morning yeah, we did
2: we did they had no power bars we complained to the manager <laughs>
0: We <laughs> we offered to sue, <laughs> but that that like goes the extra mile for me. Where I'm like, I, it really feels like they've built this world that I um, can identify with more. And so, um, while I think the the detachment of of Nordic movies is is often very funny. And the you know, square was hilarious. Same director, same director. Um, in this one, I feel like it does a little bit of a disservice because I want to feel th- all of the terrible, cringy. Mm feelings of every person in that room and every person in that family. Um, and I, I think that the the one point in, in Downhill there's one part that's like a little cartoonish, which is how they treat the like friend they make at the um at the resort oh, where she's this like she was European so good, woman. She was great. Miranda but it's... Otto
2: Miranda Otto who's in Lord of the Rings.
0: Oh really? Mm-hmm. Oh I didn't know that. Yeah she's well she's Australian she's not but...
2: certainly an actress and yeah. Uh, and, right, and yeah and then she's doing this like very like th- thick German accent. Huh? It's
0: it's hilarious. It's yes. it's more cartoonish, um, and a little less. Uh, I feel like in, in Force Majeure they handle that that discussion and those conversations a little bit more yeah. maturely. But I mean, it's also absurd. Like in, in Force Majeure, he goes to that weird like shirt off screaming party thing. That's also right. like a wild wild stereotype of Europeans. Yeah, that part um, reminded me
2: of downsizing a little bit. Downsizing the one with Matt Damon where it was like the oh yeah yeah yep
0: yeah,
2: in yeah. Lord um, of the Rings she was. E O W Y N. You know I
0: haven't seen Will of the Rings, right? Oh, you haven't?
2: No. Oh, okay. When you're talking about it earlier, I thought you meant you too had seen Oh no. Oh, okay. Come on. <laughs> you know I don't
0: like that fantasy nerd stuff. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> um but just yeah, the the I thought I thought Will Ferrell, it didn't seem like a Will Ferrell movie. To me, it seemed mm-hmm. like a very easy way to see him as someone who is you know big into a degree there's parts later where he like ends up bullying his kids like right. he's like also believable mm-hmm. um, god, the fucking
2: helicopter scene is hel- like one of the most excruciating things i've ever watched
0: oh my god <laughs>
2: <laughs> rebecca almost just pulled all of her hair out she it's- did the thing where she put her hand through her hair and i was worried that she's actually pulling the hair out as she was it doing out. it yeah
0: so excruciating yeah um i don't it know it felt so real <laughs> so, so real i love downhill i thought it was fantastic it's unfortunate for force mature that I saw it afterwards. Um, Interesting.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's anytime you see, you know, if there's two versions of the same story and the one you watch first is like the the broader version, then I think it's always going to be mm-hmm. make the one that's like less broad seem less enjoyable because sure. you, you're like, you know, like, yeah, you're like, well, I just watched like the broader version of this. And now I'm watching like the more like quiet European version. of it, So, of course, it seems less good. hmm. Um, so, and, you know, and, and I, I, yeah, I do think downhill has gotten a really raw deal and I do think it is just like this sort of categorical, this like unspoken critical agreement to like punish any and all English language remakes of international films because critics are just like, mm. well, no, we want, we don't, because critics, you know, feel like part of their job is to make, you know, Americans watch foreign films. <laughs> um, so it's like, no, don't wait for the American version of this. Watch sure, the original international version of it. Um, but uh, but I I think if downhill just existed on its own without the association of force majeure, I think it would have been a critical. I think it probably would have been closer to you know eighty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes instead of the current rating, which I think is like thirty five.
0: Fucking ridiculous. It's just surprising because I feel that I I would think that there would be a lot of people who are in the bucket of people who wouldn't have seen force majeure that would go see a Will Ferrell movie, right? And I don't know how that's getting lost. Like maybe yeah. that's not how it's being marketed because it's, it's being, not being marketed, marketed though, as yeah. the same crowd, which is a weird move. Right. Um, and maybe it'll have a better success in like the VOD uh, Yeah, maybe. Maybe it'll end up on, on Netflix
2: and then people will watch it and be like, oh, and people who had no idea what Horse Majeure is will watch it and be like, but that, that also does raise a good question though of like, who is this movie for? Mm-hmm. Because it is so excruciating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people, not everybody likes cringe comedy. And Larry this, David fans. and the, Right, exactly. So fans of cringe comedy will find much to enjoy here. But then it is also, it it has a lot of genuine human pathos mm-hmm. that a lot, of, a lot of cringe comedy doesn't. You know, cringe comedy tends to definitely just play up the discomfort of these social situations, but without having a, you know, moments that ring as true and as heartbreakingly as that centerpiece scene with her right um or even you know her and then sort of like the journey each of them takes as they start spending less time together on the vacation
0: oh
2: my God. um you know so but yeah i mean i i'm with you on i think you know downhill got a raw deal and i think that it, it does stand pretty well on its own merits mm-hmm. and, um, i'm giving uh, it a binge it well i will go with um consume plus
0: <laughs> wow no waves let's mm-hmm. just not disagree until after the election okay <laughs> deal thank you so much for listening um be sure to subscribe um uh, stitcher itunes spotify what have you mm-hmm. um jason is on twitter at XSFaggage. at fight balance thank you so much for listening bye guys Bye-bye. binging on movies with rebecca and jason
1: you made it to the end that's amazing that there goes the binge, binge.